Welcome to Your Life, The Sequel. A podcast about getting your act together and making changes happen in your life. You want change and we want to help you with guests and discussions about how to make change in your life, whether big or small, change can happen. This is your chance to become the person you were meant to be. Now, here we are, Rick Roshan and Melissa Carlson. Welcome, everybody, to Your Life, The Sequel. I'm Melissa Carlson. And I am Rick Roshan. I am very, very happy to have a longtime friend on the show today. I mean, he's just a really, really lovely person. And it turns out he's a fabulously gifted artist. I've recently fallen in love with uh, his painting, which I did not have any idea that he had this talent. And I'm very excited to introduce Kevin Hoover to the Your Life, the Sequel audience. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Good morning, everybody. Thanks for having me here. Oh, absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of stuff. So I'm going to tell you what I... I'm experiencing after seeing your work on Instagram, and then we can talk about, you know, your life and how you wound up as a painter, you know, in your 50s. So recently, maybe four or five months ago, you started posting work that I didn't even know it was your work. And I, you know, you're flipping through Instagram and you see something and I really loved the work. And then I, you know, started digging around and I saw that it was actually your, your own paintings. And I did not know that you were a Renaissance man and that you uh, can do all the stuff. And so it turns out you're an, an outstanding painter. So Thank you. why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, Kevin, and sure. uh, how you wound up being a painter in your 50s. Okay. So I'm a, a native of Washington State. I was born and raised in the Seattle area uh, when I was just entering high school. We moved up to the very tippy-top corner of Washington, Blaine, Washington, a very small town with really robust school programs. And um, the school had majors, so I had to declare a major as a new student. I didn't know anybody to kind of pick their brains and find out what was cool or what was fun or whatnot. So I chose art and visual communications, which was a separate thing about TV production and whatnot. But they were both taught by the same teacher who was a local artist in that area. And so I, uh, I took all the classes through from ninth grade through 12th grade. I had a class from, uh, Mr. Rob Gisher pretty much every day of my high school life and dabbled in all the disciplines that were required in the curriculum. And then when that was over, I just kind of moved on. You know, I didn't really consider, uh, going into the arts. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot of stuff whistle around a lot of creative people, but, you know, just kind of went off into other pursuits. As you well know, I had a very long retail career uh, working in the clothing business. um, And that provided some creative outlets where you're, you know, like helping people, getting them dressed, putting nice things on them, figuring out, you know, how to make them look good. And, um, and then after that, I went into real estate where I'd been performing there for almost 22 years. So wow. for all of that time, I didn't really, like I said, various other creative endeavors, but I never, you know, went out and bought supplies or picked up a paintbrush other than, you know, painting the walls in my home. And uh, so in the last few years, it's really been in the back of my mind a lot. Like I really wanted to sort of revisit it. And uh, the more I thought about it, I started to realize that 
throughout all of this time, I've had a lot of artists in my sphere, in my life, going way, way back. And I started thinking, I always thought of them as sort of other, like, oh, those are artists, people, those are people who, you know, have a gift Mm -hmm. that I didn't see in myself. Um, And now I realize like there's, you know, there's really no downside ever to pursuing creativity or to to, to making something. Anybody can do it, Um, but everybody has varying levels of, you know, confidence and skill and so on. So about a year ago, a little bit over a year ago, just when the pandemic was kind of ramping up, but before all the stay at home orders, went into effect. I really was thinking about it. And uh, I started dabbling with just some colored pencils and drawing things. But I really thought that my thing would be painting. So then the stay at home orders came and I was here at home and I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I mean, I still have work to do, but a lot more free time. So I just ordered some some supplies uh, and had them shipped on to my front door and just started at it. Cool. So a couple of questions from uh, the beginning. So when you were at school and you had to declare a major, Mm -hmm. uh, the pressure of, you know, your 14 year old self having any idea what the hell, (laughs) you know, what is a major the age of 14? I can't even declare a major at 54. My question for you is, did you have an aptitude or interest in art to begin with? And that's why you selected art or was it just by default? I think it was by default. I mean, obviously I had an interest in it. I don't recall prior to that, you know, prior to entering that high school that I had done a lot of artwork. I mean, you know, every child as they're going through grade school, you have art projects and art classes where you make various little cute things or whatever. But up to that point, I had just thought of it as uh, that's just part of school. Whereas this was sort of a, a more focused plan. And, um, I think I may have chosen it <laughs> as an alternative to the more as, as opposed to PE. <laughs> PE or math or science yeah. or things that I just didn't think I was really cut out for. Sure. So I was like, well, okay, maybe, you know, art that seems like, and then, you know, it was paired with this other course work, which was separate from it. But as I said, was taught by the same teacher, uh, so I got to know him very well. And he, of course, had a, a great influence. He's still a working artist in his 80s uh, wow. up in that area. Cool. Yeah. Do you feel like your time in um, in fashion kind of in one way or another scratched that itch for art? And, you know, and how, how did it? Was it kind of like a Band-Aid almost for what you really were looking to do? No, you, you're, you're absolutely right, Melissa. Um, I think that I, I was probably unaware that it was a Band-Aid, I was able to work partly, you know, like I said, working with people, people come to you and they say, oh, I need, a, I need an outfit or I need to be shown how to dress properly. And I worked in you know, fairly high-end stores with so really beautiful apparel. And, um, and so, you know, that, that was gratifying. When I was in that environment for, you know, roughly 15 years, two types of days that really made, you made for a good day. One was, just a really kick-ass sales day, right? Where you're just rock and roll and you're like, you know, cranking and bringing in the dollars and the day just flies by. The other day is when it's time to rearrange the furniture, new products coming in. Let's like move the floor around, remake the visuals of the space. 
And, um, and, you know, I had some really other talented people whose job it was at the store to do that. It wasn't really my job, but I just sort of did it by default because it came naturally to me. So it did scratch that itch. But like I said, I, I don't think I was aware that I was trying to be artistic. It just felt like, it just felt like something that felt right for me to do. What do you say to those people who are like, you know, what I, I, didn't start out in art, but it's always been something kind of in my background. You know, for you, it kind of started a foundation with it, left it and came back. But other people maybe didn't have that opportunity. And it's just something that kind of floats in the background for them. You know, how do you kind of say to them, what do you say to them? Say, jump in. Where do you start? Try this advice, I guess. Yeah, I guess, you know, I think there's sort of a, there has to be sort of an instinctual feel to it. Like if you were faced with a number of art supplies, it's like drawing paper and pencils or crayons or, you know, magic markers or paint or clay or whatever. It's like if you if I just laid all these things out in front of you, you might probably be drawn to at least one of them. Like, oh, I'd like to, you know, play with this. And if somebody said something to me recently about it was something to the effect that like, oh, your your creativity is boundless or knows no bounds. And I'm like, well. I had to think about that for a minute. And then I thought, well, everybody's creativity is boundless if you know how to find it, right? Anybody, but a lot of people don't believe that they are creative. Right. Or they see it, like I said before, as, you know, people who are creative are others. You know, those are people who have a gift. And granted, some people have a greater gift than others. But I think everybody has it in us. It's a human facet, right? To create, to make things. I'm always interested in artists and how they start. Like for instance, my daughter, she does this all the time. Mama, I want to draw. What should I draw? What should I draw? Is always the question. And I, for the life of me, other than I'm like a flower, a house, I literally cannot think of anything. And yet I see artists who come up with these amazing, like, how does it, does, how does that picture come into your mind? How do you decide what to paint? or draw, or whatever it is? Where does it come from? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know if I can describe. It's sort of, you just have to, for me, I just have to start with something. And maybe I have like an image or an idea. Um, Ricky mentioned Instagram, which uh, up until, you know, a few months ago, I didn't fully really appreciate or understand Instagram. I'm like, what is it? It's just like, you're just putting pictures up? on the, on this place. Right. I found that because of its algorithm, as you know, I shared some of my paintings and then the algorithm in Instagram recognizes like, Oh, there's some artwork here. Let's show this person some more artwork. Right. So I started seeing work of other artists, which I began to follow. And then that sort of snowballed. And I started seeing more. So then now I started seeing like all these possibilities of things that people do. And, and to your question, it's like seeing all the different ways that people approach and some artists, you know, use, they, they show some of their process by a video saying, well, I start here and, you know, they, they do it in, in uh, uh, time-lapse. So you can see the start to finish in 30 seconds. And so it really is, I began just playing with colors and my early paintings were really, I, I guess they're, they're abstract, but they're really just uh, 
there's not a lot of imagery in them. It's just color, texture, uh, pattern, motion. Mm. And those are kind of what I've come to identify as those are really the four elements of, of pretty much all of my work that kind of underpins all of that. And there may be imagery and there may be not. It might just be a feeling. So I don't know if that answers your question. Um, it, it's, it's a hard question. I don't, I don't feel very uh, inclined toward form, mm-hmm. like creating forms or imagery in my work because I just don't think that's in my wheelhouse. Not at this yeah. time anyway. So like a lot of the pieces just have a feeling of just sort of, like I said, color, pattern, texture, imagery, emotion. Well, one of the, one of the quotes I love historically from Michelangelo when asked, how did you do the David? He said, I just removed everything that wasn't David. <laughs> right. Uh, I, yeah. So the thing that I find, so here are some questions I have. One of the things I think that can keep people from attempting new things, especially art, because art can be an expression of what is inside. You know, so Melissa, to your daughter's question about what to draw, my answer would be, what's inside of you? Mm. Yeah, it's a good um, So then she draws a demon. So... <laughs> <laughs> His name is- you know my daughter, huh? <laughs> no, because to me, it is, it is one of those opportunities that as a human being, we all, I think that oftentimes a lot of us, I'm not going to say it we all because that is too broad, but oftentimes human beings want to be seen and understood and appreciated for what people have seen and understood. And one of the things that would terrify me, it was one of the things that was scary when we first started doing the podcast was this is an expression of me and how I view the world. And the same thing with art is that this is what's inside of me. I always worry just a side note, like people like Stephen King, you know, what he writes is so fucked up. And I think I would never, like, I think fucked up shit, but I would never <laughs> write it down so that people could go. <laughs> There's proof. Like literally that, that is what you're like. You're, that's what you're That thinking. was in your head. That was in your head, you know? And so it's a risk, Kevin, to put your work and put it out for, I mean, you don't have to say this is up for critique that's built into social media and, and the, you know, everything and everyone volunteering their opinions. So I would be curious to know what was your process of getting through, or did you have any initial fears of getting your work out there for people to see, like putting some first, the battle with yourself to get started and then the and then the next battle, which is you know I'm I'm doing this thing and I and I want to show it to people. Yeah, honestly, I, I don't I don't know why I would describe either of those those periods of those processes as, as battle. It was more of like an evolution, right? I came to it slowly over time. Um, the decision to like buy the stuff and actually sit down and start doing it, and then as far as putting it out there, I and I haven't. Initially, anyway, I, I just started creating work and I just wanted to share it and say, hey, here's the thing I'm doing. It was such a, as you, as we all know, I mean, think back where we were a year ago. All the uncertainty, all the worry, all the what is going on in the world. 
how long am I going to be sitting here stuck at home? All of these things, right? And I just thought I, I need something to distract myself. And I was pleased with what I was doing. So I didn't, you know, if, if you finish a piece and then you're like, oh, I don't know. And you start second guessing yourself, you might be reluctant or I might be reluctant to, to share it. But I've kind of pushed through that feeling regardless of how I feel about the piece. And as I put it out there, and if it's good, it's good. And if it's not, it's not. Very brave of you. Are you expressing anything in your work? Like, is there anything or, or is it, is it aesthetic? Is there? So there's kind of a, there, there's a, a bit of a, a theme that has emerged, not purposefully. Maybe it's, you know, it's subconsciously, which is, I've always had an affinity for the forest and woods. I like to walk. I like to go like disappear into the, into the woods, even if it's just a local park and just, you know, sort of enjoy that. And it's really fascinated by trees. So I started doing some work that kind of echoed or mimicked trees, not literally like they don't, they're not literal. Like I didn't literally paint, you know, tree figures, but things that kind of mimicked the, you know, the, the texture and the patterns on birch bark, specifically birch. There's a lot of that. Um, and then I, I, I did a bunch of pieces in that, in that vein. And then I kind of thought I would just move away from that. But even so, I still find that I've, I've like, I've done a couple pieces recently that no intention or no idea of, you know, trees in my mind while I was doing it. And then I get the thing done. I'm like, okay, these kind of feel like trees. <laughs> so, um, they so there. yeah, yeah. I mean, and they're, and they're not literal trees. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're very figurative, abstract uh, type of trees, but, um, you know, I'm really interested in exploring all different kinds of imagery in art. And what really kind of pushed me over the edge at this time last year was I had run across a, a small video presentation. It was a clip about uh, this very well-known German artist, Gerhard Richter. And he does these, well, in his later life, he's elderly. I believe he's still alive. He's probably in his late 80s. And uh, there was a documentary, a film made about his life and his work. So I was able to track that down and watch it. And I just became mesmerized. And so he does these massive, you know, wall size paintings uh, using, I guess, what you would call deconstruction, Mm -hmm. basically layering on paint and then peeling it off with a giant squeegee, right? Layer upon layer. So you reveal the colors underneath and they're very, very beautiful. And I was lucky enough to uh, visit the Seattle Art Museum when it reopened a few weeks ago. And uh, I went there for a Jacob Lawrence exhibit, but I happened to just see this piece of artwork down the hallway somewhere. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then when I got to it, it turned lo and behold, it was a real life Gerhard Richter piece. And so I've, I, you know, he's always in the back of my mind as I'm kind of working these processes and, you know, playing with textures and techniques and whatnot. So um, it's just, it's, it's very interesting to watch it sort of evolve and just let it be whatever it's going to be. So we love practical solutions around here at Your Life, the sequel, so that people can um, listen to the podcast and turn what they've heard into into action. 
if they've been thinking about something. So mm-hmm. I would love if you could help the listeners to understand, you know, very simply, did you, you know, how did, you, what would your recommendation be if they want to start in general doing some sort of work? And if they wanted to start painting, like my uncle, who I don't think he painted at all until he was in his 70s, Lovely. maybe 60s. Wow. And his work was amazing. Real, I mean, really. And, and, and one of the things I think that people can get hung up on, and if you look at, you know, famous artists throughout history, not all of them were technically good artists, but it was their point of view and the work and, you know, a whole bunch of things that can, you know, you know, Matisse was mediocre at doing fish, but, <laughs> you know, it was about balance and color <laughs> and a whole bunch of other things. And so you could be the next Matisse. We don't know that. And the thing that I, that just gets me so, you know, chicken skin thinking about it is that somebody somewhere listening to this can get something awakened in them that they can then tomorrow from something that Kevin says, practically, here's how you get started. They could be opening up something that they don't even know exists inside of them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that to me is the joy of, that's the joy of what we're doing. And so just practically speaking, Kevin, tell us how um, someone could go about getting started. Yeah. You know, there's, really easy for someone who maybe I think a lot of creative pursuits are uh, stymied by the concern about being good. Mm -hmm. Yes. Forget about being good. Just forget about being good. If you start it and you practice it, you'll develop your own sort of painting artistic voice, if you will, it'll, it'll come eventually, but you know, it would be very simple. There are lots of places where you can do as I did. I just, like I said, ordered some supplies from a, from an art supply store. But you can also go to those a lot of those stores, and they have offer classes. You know, beginner classes, painting classes, sculpting classes, whatever it is. And you know, they're fairly inexpensive. There's local arts organizations that do the same thing. And if a person can get over the concern about whether it will be good or not. Mm-hmm. And yes. just forge ahead, say, I'm just going to go try this thing. I don't care if it's good. I just want to do it. I just want to experience it. What does it feel like to work with paints? What does it feel like to stick your hands in a pile of clay and make something out of it? Right. And just, you know, feel it. And I can tell you, I feel different. I feel different in my person over the last year since I started doing this. How so? Um, um I guess more, well, going back to what I was saying earlier about the, you know, the, the timing of the thing and the, this uh, pandemic period that we're in, it gave me something to focus on other than that. And, you know, it's, it's relaxing. I'm sort of limited. I don't have a studio space at the moment. I carved out a corner of my home and I paint on the floor. And so it's always right here. Like I, I don't, I don't, it's not locked away or pushed away in some other room somewhere where I don't see it most of the time. It's always right in my view. And so I get to live with it. Right. And, and think about it. And so it's, and does that bring you joy? 
It does. It does. It's it's nice to it would bring the anguish. Some, I'd be like, oh, yes. I have to finish it. At. <laughs> yeah, some pieces, you know, just sort of happen, you know, sort of on their own, and and the start to finish is is relatively short. Other pieces I've worked on for a month. I ran across this uh, an artist who would made a comment about he was showing a piece of work and he said, oh, here's a painting I started working on about a year ago. And then he just, you know, set it aside, said, ah, I'm not feeling it, set it aside. And then a year later came back to it. And that was really important for me because I get uh, hung up on this notion that I have to finish it. Right? Sure. If I've started it, I want to, I want to see it through and get it finished. That would be uh, me. And, yeah. yeah. But, you know, t- t- sort of in the same vein, I've actually gone back to some pieces that I did earlier on with status, literally finished them, like burnished them all, finished the edges, put the hangers on it, hanging on the wall. And then later I look at it and I'm like, no, that, that was just practice. I'm yeah. going to repurpose that canvas and made it into something entirely different and new. I just went right over the top of it. And so not every piece is um, necessarily worth saving. <laughs> not every piece is a winner. Not every piece is worth yeah. saving, but Every piece is but worth process. doing. Yeah, yeah, it's all, no, it's all worth doing. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. very similar in perfuming. Um, I perfume, and yeah. for me, I have to know where I'm navigating. So I need a muse. It's always it's always easier for me to make some, make a fragrance for somebody than it is for me to just gin it up out of you know the clear blue sky. So it helps me to like I always use the analogy of a plane flying from. San Francisco to Honolulu. It is a pretty straight shot, but it changes course about a thousand times, but it was all, it's always going to Honolulu. You know, it knows where it's going. And so, you know, you, you make some adjustments, you, you know, there's, there's little bits and pieces and sometimes you stop early because you arrive early, Mm-hmm. Not because it was a nosedive over the Pacific Ocean, but because we were like, "Hey, I'm here. I am. I've I've done it. This is this is what I wanted." Another thing that develop that is interesting is that in fragrance, it's called uh, basically it's cooking. The fragrance once it's created, the molecules have to come together like wine, and they have mm-hmm. to they have to. It takes about thirty days for them to become. Uh, it's alchemy. They have to become a new thing. They were the bits and pieces before I put them together. It, I goosebumps again. I love this stuff. I, I really, really do. And so they were these <laughs> other things before. And then I wanted to do something. I brought them together. And then alchemically, they become something new. And that's probably what you saw in your work. You know, maybe you had a limited point of view. Maybe you had limited resources. You know, you didn't have enough other stuff on those first pieces. And so you revisited them and you're like, oh, you know what? I've got a totally different outlook now, or I've got a different yeah, set of, it's, it's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, it is like really gratifying. And as I said, I do feel different both in the way that I described, which is it gave me that sort of sense of focus. Uh, and it's, it's can be, it's always, sometimes it's a little bit, I get a little bit amped up if I get, if I'm unhappy with the way things are going, but for the most part, it's, it's relaxing and people respond to it. And it's not the response in itself 
is not what I'm seeking. I'm not looking for people that, you know, like laud me with adulation or anything like that. I mean, I'm happy when people like work. And so uh, several people in my sphere now have some of my work in their homes. I have a lot of it sitting around here <laughs> waiting to find a home eventually because I can't keep it all. But it's, uh, I don't know, I, I just feel just generally happier, I think, in that I found something that was sort of buried and locked away for the longest time. And, you know, it's like somebody that you knew a long time ago and you had a great affinity for, right? And then for whatever reason, life things happen and you parted ways and then later you you came back together and luckily it was all just still right there that's you and me rick that's you and me (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i know i know everyone on this podcast a minimum of 30 years i mean (laughs) so i think that's just so beautifully put and I love your work. Can you Thank tell you. people who are listening where they can see your work, learn more about you? Sure, yeah. sure. So uh, most of my work uh, goes on my uh, Instagram page, which is at Kev Hoove, K-E-V-H-O-O-V underscore arts. Kev Hoove underscore arts. And uh, building a community there of other artists and galleries and stuff, I'm hoping to put together some kind of a show possibly probably by the end of the summer somewhere locally in this in the Seattle area a pop-up show or a small gallery and so I'll be when when that happens I'll be putting that out there uh, for public consumption but people who aren't in the Seattle area as I said can find all the work on Instagram wonderful thank you so much for being with us today yeah Yeah, thank thank you you. it's really uh really an honor and a pleasure really fun and um Yeah, I can't wait to hear more of what you guys have to uh, discuss with other people. Thanks so much, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Cool. Thanks. All right. Take care. Thanks for joining us this week on Your Life, the Sequel. Make sure to visit our website, revital.ist, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, so you'll never miss a show. Or sign up for our newsletter, The Revitalist, filled with daily tips for making change in your life. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd really appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Special thanks to our audio engineer and editor, Mark Kate. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode of Inspirational Change. Be the change you want to be.